Welcome to You Can Read the Bible's lesson on Isaiah's literary structure. My name is Matt Carter. So there's a definite unity to Isaiah. From start to finish, Isaiah delivers a message of justice and hope. Israel's sin will lead to divine justice through her neighbors, Assyria and Babylon. These foreign people will destroy Israel and Judah. Babylon will destroy Jerusalem and lead its people off to exile. Somehow, Israel will be restored with a new king named Emmanuel. Emmanuel will be the servant of the Lord who will suffer and lead his people in a new Jerusalem that will establish peace on earth forever. So to help us understand Isaiah a little better, we'll look at the two halves to Isaiah. The first half runs through the first 39 chapters. Uh, Then there's a gap of about 150 years in between uh, chapters 39 and 40. Then the second half goes from chapter 40 through 66. Now it's thought that the first half that leads up to the Babylonian exile was written by Isaiah the son of Amoz himself, and that the second half was probably written by Isaiah's disciples at the end of the exile period. So that period is the same as the books of uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. After Israel's leaders rejected his message, it's thought, so Isaiah sealed his message in scrolls and he gave those to his prophetic disciples, who then later, about 150 years later, used it to write the second half. In you, there are some clues to this, Isaiah 8, 16, 29, verses 10 through 12, and then chapter 30, verses 8 and 9, that seem to suggest this, although it's by no means certain. Uh, In any case, it matters less to us who wrote which chapters than to try to understand what they're actually telling us. So here's an outline of these sections of chapters in Isaiah. Each half has has three sections of chapters. All right, so the first section of chapters in Isaiah, uh, chapters 1 through 12, um, these are perhaps the most important block of chapters in the whole of Isaiah. This section is about the prophecy uh, for the fall of Jerusalem and the exile to Babylon. And in the opening two chapters, Isaiah really calls out Jerusalem for idolatry and injustice. He says that the nations will conquer Israel, or I'm sorry, uh, conquer Jerusalem and, and in fact, Israel, that this conquest will be uh, somehow like a purifying fire. And, and so this, this in opening to Isaiah establishes this recurring theme of old Jerusalem and a purifying fire, which ultimately leads to a new Jerusalem. Now, chapter 6 really gives us a fantastic vision of this purifying fire process. Isaiah is taken up in a vision to see the Lord seated on his throne, surrounded by angelic creatures, shouting, Holy, holy, holy. Then Isaiah, feeling his sin, sees this holiness as a threat. And, you know, across the whole Bible, everyone has this same reaction to holiness. So in Isaiah's case, as a hot coal of holiness is carried with tongs to his mouth, he is burned and believes he will be destroyed. Instead, he's purified and commissioned to speak for the Lord. And the Lord says that a holy seed of, of this uh, stump of, of Israel will be saved and will result in the restoration of Israel. So that image uh, really uh, is, is very powerful. That then leads to this third uh, uh, section of chapters in the, in the first uh, big block of, of chapters in Isaiah. So in, in chapters 7 through 12, then Isaiah goes off and tells King Ahaz that he's basically done for uh, by Assyria. 
And in these chapters, he also introduces this new king, Emmanuel, God with us, who is Israel's future hope. He will set Israel free from all violent and oppressive empires. He's the new branch from this charred stump of David's family tree. Through the empowering of God's Holy Spirit, he will bring justice and bless all the nations. In other words, his kingdom will transform all of creation, bringing lost shalom. So this next section, chapters 13 through 27, deal with when all of this stuff will come to pass. In the first part, chapters 13 through 23, Isaiah prophesies that Babylon, which is greater than Assyria, will do this. And in this section, there are poems really about all of Israel's neighbors, not just Babylon, not just Assyria. They all share in Babylon's pride and injustice. And as a result, they will all be brought to the grave in due time. Now, the second part of this section, spanning from chapters 24 through 27, is really a tale of two cities. Babylon, the archetypal lofty city, is filled to the brim with rebellious humanity. And it's a stand-in for all of humanity that's in rebellion to the Lord. And it, in fact, includes residents of all cities, including Old Jerusalem. New Jerusalem, on the other hand, is the hope of all the world. This city is the Lord's kingdom over all nations. In New Jerusalem, there is no more suffering. There is no more injustice. There is even no more death. Chapters 28 through 39 is the final section of chapters in the first half, and Isaiah prophesies here about the rise and fall of Jerusalem. In chapters 28 through 35, Isaiah accuses Jerusalem's, uh, Jerusalem's leaders for seeking protection from their neighbors. They're trusting in Egypt to save them, right? Remember when Israel was wandering in the desert, fearful and grumbling? Some of them wanted to go back to Egypt then? Isaiah, like Moses, reminds the God grumblers that their only hope is in the Lord. They need to place their trust in him and turn to him in repentance. Now, the next couple of chapters really illustrate this with the story of King Hezekiah. So as Assyria is coming to Jerusalem to attack it, King Hezekiah, he humbles himself before the Lord and he prays for deliverance. Then Jerusalem is saved from destruction and miraculously spared overnight. This, unfortunately, does not last. In chapter 39, Hezekiah is showing the Babylonians all of the riches of Jerusalem. Now, he does this because he's hoping that Babylon will ally itself with Jerusalem. Once again, he's trusting in wealth and human power to save Jerusalem. And Isaiah prophesies that Babylon will betray Jerusalem and place its people in exile. The second half of Isaiah uh, starts in chapter 40. And remember, in between the end of chapter 39 and the beginning of chapter 40 is about 150 years of history. Now, as Isaiah prophesied, Babylon did in fact slay Jerusalem and take her people off to exile. Second Kings chapters 24 and 25 provide this history. And if you are unfamiliar with it, I would really encourage you to, to read about that. So this is the time of um, books like Ezra and Nehemiah. The second half from chapters 40 through 66, like the first half, has three blocks of chapters. The first section of chapters from 40 through 48 offer comfort and hope for Israel. Israel will be able to return home from exile. The Lord's kingdom is coming. All nations will see his glory. In chapter 40, this hope is expressed in that Israel will become the Lord's servant and bear witness to the Lord to all the nations. But instead, 
Israel complains. Israel accuses the Lord of neglecting them. And some should, some in Israel suggest even that the Lord is not, after all, the most powerful God. So this leads to chapters 41 through 47, which is really where the Lord is put on trial by Israel. Israel accuses the Lord of ignoring and neglecting them. The Lord responds to this accusation in two ways. First, destruction and exile were divine judgment for Israel's sin. Second, he raised up Persia to conquer Babylon and end the exile for Israel's sake. The Lord here is essentially saying this divine judgment was a purifying fire. The conclusion to draw here is that the Lord is the true king of history. Serve him and witness to the nations. Yet, Israel resists. This tension sets up the next section of chapters, from chapter 49 through chapter 55. Here, there's a new situation. The Lord's servant, who is the messianic king announced earlier in chapters 9 and 11, is now Israel. His mission is to restore the people of God and be a light to all nations. He will be empowered by the Lord's own spirit to do this. How will he do this? By raising up an army to slay the nations? No. The servant will be rejected and killed. His death will be an atonement sacrifice for his people. Remember all of those laws about sacrifices and offerings in the Mosaic Law, Leviticus? They were all pointing to this atoning sacrifice. Then, miraculously, after his death, he lives again and declares that his people are now right with the Lord. Chapters 40 and, I'm sorry, 54 and 55 lay out the two responses people have to the servant. The first response is by the people referred to as the seed or the servants. They respond with humility and repentance. The second response is by those people referred to as the wicked. They reject both the servant and his servants. So this contrast between the wicked and the servants is extended in the final section of chapters in Isaiah as a contrast between Old Jerusalem and New Jerusalem. This section of chapters is like a mountain with a peak at the center. So the outer chapters at both the beginning and ending of this section contrast the wicked and the servants. These outer chapters are chapters 56 and through 58 and then uh, chapters uh, 65 through 66. So in these chapters, all nations are invited to New Jerusalem. There in New Jerusalem is both justice and hope. The wicked in justice are removed from New Jerusalem, and hope is realized as the servants inherit the New Jerusalem, which is really the new creation. Chapters 59 and then 63 through 64, inside of those outer chapters, are prayers of repentance. Here, the servants are seen confessing sin and grieving for the evil in the world. Forgive us, they pray, and may your kingdom come. Now, chapters 60 through 62 are the peak of this mountain. They are a centerpiece in the form of three poems about New Jerusalem that is the, the blessing to all creation. This is heaven in all its glorious splendor. So, all of Isaiah consists of poetry and prophecy, and there are two halves to Isaiah, and within each half there are three sections of chapters. Throughout it all, there's an underlying message in Isaiah about justice and hope, and that message speaks to all nations throughout all history. The long-prophesied King Emmanuel came, and with all servants of the Lord Most High, we pray today that his kingdom would come on earth 
as it is in heaven. Thank you for listening to You Can Read the Bible.